So when you catch Steve next time, uh, say hi to him. He's got quite a remarkable uh, story. Good guy too, a good guy. Uh, suffering, as we know, through Parkinson's, as a couple are within our congregation. But uh, catch up with Steve. Well, we're going to continue our series from Exodus. And today I'm going to read all of chapter 28, 29 and 30. No, I'm actually not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to read parts of that. But if you get hold of uh, the word, grab your own Bibles or your, <coughs> or your <coughs> phones and uh, we'll read together. I'm going to read a few verses out of uh, chapter 28 and then we're going to jump into 29 and read a couple of verses uh, there. Here we go from chapter 28, right from the word go. Here we go. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brothers and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful who I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat, of checkered work, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Let me go to chapter 29. We'll read a few verses from there. This is on the consecration of the priests. Now this is what you should do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his son with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. We're going to hear uh, from Shabu. Thanks, Shabu. Thanks, John. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I have the great joy of being one of the pastors. Uh, now, this, I've got to be honest with you, feels very surreal, uh, speaking to a camera again. Uh, so I pray it won't be of distraction to you as I get used to that for this Sunday. Uh, you've already heard, or maybe you've already heard through the PowerPoint that was shared earlier. Uh, if there are things that you're struggling with this week, in particular as we have the SNAP lockdown, it, it, please, church family, look after one another, care for one another. But if there's a need for prayer or anything else, please don't hesitate to get in touch with the pastoral team. We continue our sermon series this morning, as John said, as we continue looking at the book of Exodus. And if you're new to the Christian faith, exploring the Christian faith, maybe someone has shared this link with you. We pray that you will hear what God has to say to you. 
We pray that as you hear these stories, in particular today, that you realize these are true stories, and because it's God's Word, written by the hand of God, the finger of God, it actually has purpose for us this Sunday morning. Uh, This Sunday morning, what I want us to consider is this, what it means to be set apart for God's service, what it means to be set apart for God's service. Would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, you see every single heart right now, wherever we are and however we're either listening or watching this right now. As a one who is sovereign over all, we come before you. Would you minister to our hearts through your word? Lord Jesus, the one who sits on the right hand of the Father, who reigns, would you minister to us? May we walk away knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, I think that when someone you meet for the very first time, maybe at a party or wherever it might be, what they're wearing might communicate to you who they are, what they're like. Maybe right now, as we live stream, you are currently from maybe even your pyjamas watching this service. I'm not sure. I thought about coming in my PJs here, but I don't think that could work. Um, A few years back, uh, I was invited to a pretty significant meeting with some uh, pastors and leaders from the state of Victoria. Uh, I wasn't told at the time when they invited me, it was a friend of mine who was organizing it, what the dress code was going to be like. So I assumed it was just going to be like a casual chat over a cup of coffee at some sort of cafe. They did say to me it was going to be in the city. So uh, I head towards the city. They gave me a rough location. And finally, when I arrived, I arrived in the city. They told me that it was going to be at the business end of Collins Street. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. Now, I arrived at this particular address, and I realized this is a law firm. I arrive at the desk and the security guards are there and they look at me like, what are you doing here? Because I forgot to tell you, I was wearing thongs, t-shirt and shorts because it was a very hot day. I arrive there and the security guard looks at me and says, can I help you? And I explain to them, well, I'm here for a meeting. And they said, oh, what's your name? And I told them my name and they gave me the little card that I have to wear. And so then I had to head up to the lift. As I stood in the lift, I noticed everyone was wearing suits, including the security guards that I just talked to. So I head to this particular room. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, my friend forgot to inform me that this particular law firm they were visiting, the office that we were in was actually the office of one of the partners of the law firm. So I arrived to this room in my shorts, my t-shirt, and my thongs. They open the door and there is my friend wearing a smart jacket, nice shirt, pants and everybody else in that room except for this guy from the eastern suburbs. For a moment they looked at me and thought he must be lost. Now I'm sharing a very silly illustration here but see the reality is this, whether you are young or old, what you wear speaks something about you. Now just to clarify a couple of things, today's sermon is not about some sort of fashion statement, okay? Last week, we heard, as Peter Adam did an excellent job in unpacking Exodus for us, he reminded us in Exodus 25, verses 8 to 9, these words, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. 
and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So last week, we were reminded of this, that God was asking for them to build a place, a home for him. And then now what he's doing is he's calling people to serve him, specific people to serve him in that house, in that place. So if you look with me again in Exodus 28, verse 1, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Elazanah, and Ithmar. Now, the verses that come after that, if you haven't already read it, there's significant detail about what the priest should wear. Now, if you're wondering, you're thinking, okay, priest clothes, does that really apply for me? Actually, there is significant uh, truth in this, even for us today. It's more than just interesting. So if you have a look with me on the screen here, there should be a picture of what these high priest holy garments looked like. The very illustration depicts that they were described as holy garments. This is for the high priest in particular. Uh, he would have worn a turban, fine linen. There was a plate of pure shining gold on which was engraved the Hebrew words, holy to Yahweh, or another way to put it, set apart for God. Then he would have had an ephod, a colorful linen torso garment that was woven around the waistband. It had two shoulder pieces, each holding an onyx stone. The names of the 12 sons of Israel were engraved and these two stones. Now, there was also this breastplate of judgment. It had four rows with three precious stones. Each of these stones were engraved upon it, the name of the tribes of Israel. And on this breastpiece was also what was known as the Urim and Thummim. This was attached by the ephod, by gold chains and rings and blue robe was around the ephod. You can read the details of this also in Leviticus chapter 8, verses 7 to 8. It was a colorful, um, also colorful imitation of pomegranates lined the hem of the robe. There was these golden bells. There was this white coat or tunic. There was checkered weave and fine linen. It was all embroidered together and there was a sash under that robe through now, you look at all the detail of this picture, you think, what's with all of that? Why go into so much detail? This is God's word. Why would he do that? Well, a couple of things I want us to consider. Firstly, Aaron and his sons, they had to look different from everyone else. So I want you to imagine for a moment someone wearing this amongst the people of God. When they arrive, it's very clearly to see, whoa, there is the high priest who ministers to God on our behalf. Not only that, it was a picture of royalty. They've been set apart to do God's work. And the very garments that they wear are not just any garments. The actual language is they are holy garments. It's much more than clothing. It's actually to show that not only they, they are set apart, but the very clothes that they wear are set apart. What we're seeing is that they're described as holy garments set apart. It's a picture of that these garments itself are not just for everyday use that they just wear around the house. This is specifically for the priests. Holy clothes, holy calling. It's to show that they have significant work to do, but they are being set apart wholly for God's work. That they are being set apart for God. Uh, the language here as well in chapter 28, you see in verse 2, describes beautiful and glorious garments. 
Another way to read it, actually, the better way to read it is that they are weighty clothes. It shows the gravity of their calling and their role. And the very clothes that you see is, um, another way to put it, one commentator put it, is that you would see that these guys are dressed as the best to serve God. And the very materials that they used and the colors were also the same that was in the tabernacle, the very curtain in the tabernacle. It's a way of showing and saying that these priests, the clothes that they wear, they belong here. It's connected with God's sacred space. The very garments itself was associated as well of describing of the beauty and glory. Actually, it's the same terms in the Hebrew Bible to describe God himself. God himself is holy. God himself is glorious. God himself is beautiful. So in order to serve him, you can't just rock up wearing thongs, shorts, and a t-shirt. The only way to approach a holy, glorious, and beautiful God was to be adorned with holiness, adorned with glory and beauty. This is why the high priest was particularly dressed in such a way. This priest and his sons, the very garments that they wear, have been set apart for God's work, and the garments that they wear have been set apart for God's service. And the very garments itself that you have that was worn in particularly by the high priest, there's this language, he had a breastplate on that set, on that picture again. It's up here on the screen for you. The very important piece that's written in there is that the 12 tribes of Israel were written on two stones. Now, for us, it may seem a bit weird and strange, but there's significance in that. I don't know if you remember, back in Exodus 19, how God describes the very people of Israel in verses 5 to 6. It says, Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what you're seeing is actually a visual reality of what God says and what that means. So I want you to picture for a moment when the high priest puts on his robes, it's as though he's lifting onto his shoulders God's people. And he's carrying them into the very presence of God, God's treasured possession as a holy kingdom of priests. And this is what was reenacted by the priest as he went before God. It's like saying, as one commentator put it, his clothes made a statement. They said, here we are, Lord, all 12 tribes of us, your precious kingdom of priests. It's a picture to show that not only have the priests been set apart, but also God has set apart his people. The priest was invited then to draw near, to bring the people, in a sense, to the very presence of God. And you remember, they couldn't just rock up. They couldn't just rock up to God. There was a process that they had to go to, these priests, to enter the very presence of God. In a sense, what we're seeing then, and the chapters after, is their um, commissioning service. What is that? There had to be atonement. 
Uh, see, for those of us who have grown up in Christian world, particularly on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, it might sound very beautiful and glorious, and we might think, okay, this historically sounds interesting, but I want you to understand it is serious business. For the very priest to be called to this role, it's not like something they just go, oh, wow, look how honored I am. It's actually also a very dangerous calling for the priest and for his sons. As one in, says in 28.36, as they're described as holy to the Lord, and the, both the high priest and his sons, the very garments are consecrated. Not only are they, they themselves also have to be consecrated. To the point, it goes into so much detail, that their naked flesh had to be covered. And even the very uh, bells that are on the high priest's robe was, as, was a picture and a sound and a visual picture. So when the high priest went in all by himself, and he walked around serving the Lord, and they could hear that bell, they know that he's alive. But if that bell stopped, that means he's dead, because he's before a holy and righteous God. It's a reminder to you and I even today, for us to come to a holy, holy, holy God, we need to understand, particularly even for those priests, and it was a dangerous calling. It's also a picture and a warning of who God is. See, even for the priest to be set aside, even for them to enter the very presence of a holy God, or to do anything of service to him, God cannot stand anything that's unholy or unclean. And if they entered his presence in such a state, it meant death. I wonder if that weight sometimes for us is something we forget of who God is. See, because of who God is, God sets aside these priests. They had to be set aside for his work. But before they were called to this work, blood has to be shed. In order for them to serve God as his servants, there's much to be done. And you see there in chapter 29, you have three animal sacrifices. You have what's known as cereal offerings. What you have is water, oil, and blood. Firstly, they have to be washed. That's cleansed. There's a ceremonial sort of washing. The idea of anointing oil is that they've been set apart. The requirement of blood, there is a requirement of death. And you have three animals that are mentioned. You note that in chapter 29, right? They put their hands on the head of the bull in verse 10. This is the animal of sin offering. It's a bull. The laying of hands is a symbol of them transferring their sin onto this bull. The bull becomes what's known as a substitute for them. It's an image of them putting their sins. Um, another way of describing it is uh, theologians and Christians use a word called imputed. It's being put on the bull symbolically. And this is the only way for them to be made holy, to serve God in this context. Then you have what's, the, what's called the ram, the ram of burnt offering. First there's the sin offering, then there's the burnt offering. Guilt has to be removed first before anything is offered to God. Guilt has to be removed first. Then finally, you have the ram of ordination, where it's as though the next step from contributing 
is to bring an offering, a food offering. This is a picture of fellowship. So I want you to imagine for a moment, for them to enter the presence of God, for them to serve God, they need to, the, deal, the sin has to be dealt with first. Then they have to be cleansed. Then can they only have fellowship with the Holy God. So what we're seeing in this moment is God is vividly and beautifully showing what it means to have relationship with the Holy God. Firstly, sin has to be dealt with. You can't serve a holy God till that is dealt with. And then in this context, what you have is that's shown through the death of a ram and a bull. A substitute is there. And that's why it's described as a pleasing aroma to God. That's how you can only have fellowship with him. This is how you can only have fellowship with the holy God. So to serve God for Aaron and his sons, for them to be set apart, there's danger around them, but they can only approach God's presence, not about what they do, it's only done by God's enabling. It's what God does. This is what it shows. It shows the reality to be set apart for God's service. You can't just barge into a holy God. And this was the picture given to Israel. The God they serve is indeed holy. He cannot stand a single iota of sin including on those who are called to serve him and intercede on behalf of the people. See, friends, there's a purpose for all of this. It's not for us to learn about just the priestly garments, and that's a really interesting history. There's much more than that. It's a reminder to you and I, God, the creator of the universe, came and dwelt amongst an unholy people. He calls himself their God. He's the one who rescued them out of slavery. But for them to seek him, even ask about his will and what they should do with their lives, how to be forgiven, they're in need of someone. They need of a mediator between them and a holy God. And the very commissioning of Aaron and his sons are a reminder, even for them to serve God, they are imperfect. They need someone to substitute for them too. It points out and it cries out for someone much greater. It cries out even in our hearts as I read this passage, then how can one be saved before a holy God? Actually, throughout the history of Israel, you'll see the priests of the time. They become corrupt. They become a kingdom in a sense. They become rulers and they don't actually follow what God requires of them. And God knows this. Later on, the prophet Zechariah has this encounter with God. In Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, it says this. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. See, what God was showing Zechariah the prophet was, see, Zechariah, the reality is, even the most holiest man of Israel, and the literal language here in Zechariah is, can you smell it, Zechariah? Can you smell the sin on him? And the very sin actually covers him, Zechariah, from head to toe. And the very sin I want you to picture, Satan's there, the accuser is there to accuse this high priest who's come to God. This man, as he stands before the holy presence of God, 
in biblical terms, should be dead, should not be allowed to stand before a holy God. But did you see what God does? Does God destroy him? Verse 4, I will take your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. What did the priest do for that? Absolutely nothing. It's God's grace. God took away his sin. Excuse me for a moment. I'm sure we can edit that later. God has to be the one who intervenes. The very images and these symbols point to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is appointed as the great high priest. In the Gospel of John, you have this remarkable, glorious picture given by the Apostle as he writes and records Jesus' death and crucifixion. In John 19, verses 1 to 2, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And then you go to verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. For the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. What John's doing is here much more than kind of recording what Jesus was given as clothing. There's purpose for it. It's describing the very fulfillment that Scripture speaks of. It also shows Jesus as king and priest. Because in the Old Testament context, there was only one seamless robe that was described. That was the seamless robe of the high priest. So God himself comes again in Christ. He lives amongst a sinful people. But unlike Aaron and his sons who are sinful, Jesus is sinless. The one who proclaims that he did not come to be served, but to serve. He serves in the most ultimate, most glorious and beautiful way. He becomes that sin offering for you and me on that cross. Only his offering could truly take away our sin. He dies. The very death on that cross in the New Testament records remind us in the Gospel of Mark, his death, his last breath. Do you know what happened in the Gospel of Mark? It says in verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus' perfect work, his perfect offering as the great high priest opens the way for us to have relationship with the creator of the universe. And yes, even today, friends, God is still holy. And the only way to him is through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. When you and I put our faith in him, he also still calls us to be a holy people. The Apostle Peter would write this in 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. And by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Stones, that language from, again, the, from the passage of Exodus. He continues to say, Behold, I'm laying as iron, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst Gentiles honorable, so when you, they speak against you so as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Friends, there's so much here in these passages. But what it speaks of is what Christ has done. But also, if you've put your faith in him, you and I have been set apart to serve him. This past week, as John shared, a dear friend of our church family went home to, to Jesus. I remember I had this moment where I stood uh, with John and their family around the bedside. I had this moment of just being overwhelmed as we talked, as we prayed, and spoke, there was this beautiful image of kingdom of priests serving someone who was about to meet their Savior, interceding on their behalf and praying to the Lord. Friends, if you know Jesus and if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know who you are? Church, do we know who we are? We have a high priest, Jesus Christ. The one who intercedes for you and for me. The one who took our sin and shame and now has given us new clothing. He's clothed us with righteousness. Now he's called us not to live as we please, but as a holy people. What's the purpose of living as holy people? To show that we're better than everyone else? No. It bears witness to a broken world. You and I have been set apart to be set apart as a kingdom of priests. This is why it really matters how you and I live. But what matters to God, I'm so thankful about this, is not what you and I wear or not wear, but to whom you and I have been set apart for, to serve Jesus Christ. The question you and I have to always ask is, Lord, will I serve you today or will I serve something or someone else? See, this is why we as Christians have the greatest of privilege. You and I can approach the God of the universe, our heavenly Father, because of Christ, anytime, anywhere. I want you to think about that for a moment. In this snap lockdown, you and I don't have to come to a church building to have access to the creator of the universe. We can come to Jesus anytime, anywhere. And that means you and I can intercede and pray and cry out to our great Savior, for our non-Christian friends and our family and others who may be struggling. This means you and I are called 
even in this moment in history, in this very snapped lockdown that you and I have, uh, that we're facing, you and I have a great opportunity to be his chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, to proclaim the excellencies of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because you and I have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light. Because we were once not a people, but now we are God's people. Once you and I had not received mercy, but you and I have received mercy because of Jesus. And friend, if you do not know Jesus and you're watching this stream right now, I want you to know going to church will not save you. Doing all good religious things will not save you. Being nicely dressed will not save you. Even being very generous will not save you. What will only make you right with a holy God is being reminded that you need someone. You need someone who will be standing there for you, who calls out to you to return to him and put your faith and trust in him. It's only through Jesus Christ. Pray that Christ will reveal using the language of the Bible, the filthiness of our hearts and soul, and realize the grace that he offers. For those of us, those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, you feel as though constantly your work and everything that you do feels filthy. Whether it's because of this very bad week that you've had or things of the past. And as the accuser stands there accusing you, yelling at you. If you know Jesus Christ and he's the Lord of your life, Christ has robed you and dressed you and because of him only, because of his work, you are righteous. And then he calls you to live holy lives, not by your own strength, the power of the Holy Spirit. Followers of Jesus, Christ has set us apart we are his ministers of reconciliation, appealing to a holy God through Christ to be merciful to our friends, the very state that we live in, the world that we live in, just as he's been to us, to bring many to him. You and I have been set apart as his priests to serve Jesus, our great high priest. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, our great high priest, we bow at your foot. We worship you as the one who is risen and Lord. May we be your servants in this place, in this time, for your glory alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.